All right, time to, to reel you guys back in. If you can find a way. Wow. If you can find a way back to your seats, we will get started. I'm just going to keep moving. I think I'll just keep moving. I just keep walking. So how many Jennifers or Jennies did you find? Two? Who found more than two? 5,000? I don't think so. That was the wrong church. Okay, so you, if you are a Jennifer or a Jenny, raise your hand. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Yeah, we've, they're everywhere. We've got, we've got six of them in the church. And they were coming in this morning. I'm like, hello, Jennifer. Oh, hello, Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. It's crazy. So we got a lot of Jennifers um, in this church. So if you're new, welcome to Redstone Church, Elizabeth. And so good to see everybody. We were talking to a bunch of the, of the guys, the leadership guys that went through this training. We got together last night and we were saying like that there's this passage that says, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of God. And that's the way I am every Sunday. It's just so cool to like to look out and just see people, not only that are showing up to hear the word of God, but people that we're doing life with and that we're growing with. It's just encouraging. So it's just good to see your smiling faces. Um, if you're new, we're in um, Ephesians and we've been here for a long time. So we'll walk through a little bit of an intro. And then today we're going to take a step into another section of Ephesians. So we've talked about this from the very beginning. And if you've been here from the beginning, I hope that you know these, these sections, these categories. But the first section of Ephesians chapter one through three, it's a P and we're calling it what? P position, right? So this is your position in Christ, okay? Um, and then after one through three, we walk through the next section and it was also a P and it was practice. So you take your position of who you are in Christ and all that he has done. And then you live that out and you practice that really through these submission relationships. And I've said this over and over and I'm sure I'll say it in my sermon this morning. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's when things come out that are in your heart. And you don't, you didn't know that they were there and they're uncomfortable and you are forced to go back to Where's my identity? What has Jesus done? Who am I in Christ? Over and over and over. So when we say that we're a gospel-centered church or gospel-centered community groups or gospel-centered anything, that's what we're saying. Not just the fact that Jesus died for our sins. It's that we are a people that are broken and messed up and our identities are everywhere else. And we have these struggles and we have to apply the gospel in our hearts over and over. So that was the practice uh, section. And then today we're jumping into our third P, which is protection. And it's heavy and it's, it's, it's just, there's a weightiness that goes through this sermon. I can't make light of it. So we've got Camp Redstone kids that are going to be here today. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm so glad that they're here and they were here a couple of weeks ago as well. But there's just a heaviness that comes, you know, with this topic that the church of God uh, needs to uh, hear. So Watchman Nee, um, his sit, walk, stand was the book that we recommended when we first started in Ephesians. And he's really using the same principles instead of the three P's he's saying, Sit. Where are you seated in Christ? Walk. How are you walking based upon what you've learned about who, how you're seated? And then the last part is stand. He's looking at this last section of standing firm. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Uh, several years ago, I don't remember um, the years. And I remember um, going through this time in my life where something was just off. There was a struggle. 
and I had been at a school for a long time, and I started sensing that the Lord was doing something in my life. It had happened one other time in my life, and, and when that you know, first occurrence took place, it was when the Lord, I was going to Bible college, you know, taking classes, and I was, you know, had a really good job, and the Lord called me away from that. So I remember that sensation that, oh, there's something going on. And I went to the board of directors at the school, and I'm like, hey, something's up. I've been here for like 19 years or something, and I've never had a break, but I need a break. I need, I need some time off. I need to get away. Um, I'm out of sync, and I'm not sure why, and maybe it's just that I'm really, really tired. And so they gave me a sabbatical. I'd never been on a sabbatical um, before. And I took some time away. Um, some of that was just, you know, praying. And some of that was resting. And some of that was just, you know, kind of getting away from the, the daily grind of running a school. But there was this one particular part that was kind of required for me to do was that I had to go away by myself for a season. And I did. I went to this place. It was a house in Seabrook Island, uh, South Carolina. And um, I went by myself. And um, it, what happened at Seabrook, these two weeks, really ended up being 10 days, it has forever changed my life in a lot of ways. And it's tied to our, our subject today of spiritual warfare. And I went in with this, with this desire to walk with God, to hear from Him. Um, just, just, I, I spent time fasting, um, a lot of fasting and, and praying. And I just wanted to get a sense, what's the Lord doing in my life? And while I was there, um, I went through some spiritual warfare. And I, again, I know that Camp Redstone's in here. I didn't realize that they were going to be in here. I just completely forgot about that. I don't know that I would have changed the sermon, you know, but it is what it is. But there was just this intensity of, of that week, at the beginning of the week, while I was fasting and praying, that I had never experienced before at that level. And I was journaling. And the other day when I was working on the sermon, I went back and I was looking at some of my journaling notes. And I was like, oh, wow, let me read this to you. This was on September the 16th. I don't know what, what year it was. And it says, I will definitely be fasting today. Last night was horrible. Felt as though I was dragged to the edge of hell itself. The images remained. The fear was real. It was as though God in his sovereignty left me to myself to be plagued by the enemy throughout the night. Although I'm quite sure that the Lord was with me the whole time. I quoted portions of Psalm 91 throughout the night. I cannot describe how dark this night was. It carried over into the morning. I saw myself as a murderer, blasphemer, fraud, liar, deceiver, etc. The thoughts and the images were so real to me that I literally wondered if at some point in my life, if I had done some egregious act that I had somehow suppressed in the recesses of my mind. Having spent the better part of the morning in the Word and on a long prayer walk, I now see clearly that this was but the deception of the enemy, dot, dot, dot. And it continues. And there was this dialogue where I was putting these, these things down in writing and what the Lord was doing. And I, you know, just made note that I was scared. I had not been scared in my life. When I was a kid and I had to go down to the cellar to get green beans for my grandmother, I remember like flipping on the lights and there would be like these big spiders. And they weren't that big, but they seemed like that they were that big when you were four years old. You know, that was one kind of being scared. This was different. This was different. And I was scared. And I'm a grown man. I'm a big guy. And I literally slept with the lights on for three nights and just prayed my way through the night and just listened to sermons and, and read scripture. And at the end of that three day period, I was you know, just fighting. 
I was in this fight and I was quoting scripture and and just like this, it was gone. Whatever that oppression was, whatever that, that thing was that was just coming hard against me, it was not only gone, but it was, it was just the opposite. I was filled with peace and I was filled with joy and I found myself worshiping. It would almost be like, instead of me like limping and stretching and just struggling with, you know, the sciatica or whatever right now, it would be like me just going out and like running, you know, um, a marathon. It was that kind of a transformation And I walked away from that experience, if nothing else, knowing that we have an enemy and that he is real and that there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. And that's what we're stepping into, this topic of spiritual warfare. In the weeks to come, we're going to discuss the spiritual battle that belongs to believers. We're going to walk through Ephesians 6. We're going to look at the armor of God as we talk about our P protection and see how we can trust in the Lord to protect us when the battles do come. Okay, today is going to serve as an introduction only. I'm going to try not to go too deep into it, but I am going to give you three truths. I haven't done truths in a while, so I'm going to give you three truths today. So let's start uh, first off by praying, and then we're going to jump into our passage. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I thank you, Lord, for the answer Jesus is the answer for everything, all of our struggle, all of our questions. The gospel is the only thing that that makes this world and this life and struggle uh, make sense. And I, I thank you for that. And within the gospel is a Jesus that not only died, but defeated the enemy and defeated death once and for all and who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and who has sent your Holy Spirit to us to guide us, to direct us, and to fight for us. And Lord, that's what we're attempting to share this morning. Um, And I pray, oh God, as I always do, that I, I won't allow my own words to trip us up and confuse us. So whatever is of me, let it fall quickly to the ground. And whatever is of you, maybe it may just be seared into our hearts and our minds to change us forevermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's start off by just looking at the passage together. It's in your worship guide. It's up on the screen um, and it's in your Bible. Okay, so here it is. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you will be able to withstand in the evil day and after having done all to stand firm. And then after that, he's going to step into what is the specific you know, arsenal, what are these armor pieces? And that's what we'll talk about over the next month. So he begins this section though with this word, finally. That's the first word of our protection segment. He says, finally, and it's as if Paul is saying, and I'm just gonna read this to you. Paul is saying, I began by reminding you of the magnitude of the glorious gospel, reminding you that you were dead, but now that you're alive and that all of your sins have been atoned 
for by Christ and his sacrifice. I then took you through this next section of my letter, reminding you to walk in a manner of that glorious gospel, that are worthy of that glorious gospel. And we then we jumped into many particulars to show how that life change is worked out as we learn to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, both within the home and outside of the home. And this is where, as I said earlier, the rubber meets the road. For it's within these relationships that we find ourselves dependent upon his strength and upon the grace of Christ as we return to the gospel over and over again. But I cannot end the letter there. I need you to understand that if you're going to follow Jesus, that this is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. There is a formidable foe and he is your enemy and he hated Christ. And so he hates, that's a strong word, but he hates you as well. And he will do everything he can to take you down or to slow you down. And in doing so, slow down the growth of the kingdom of God. But God has given us the power and God has given us the strength to overcome him, and I'm going to tell you how. So that's what Paul's saying. He's looking back to Ephesians 1 through 3. He's looking at 4 and part, you know, part of 6. And he's saying, this is everything that I've said, but don't stop there. It's not just, oh, now go practice these things. As you begin to live out these things, there's going to be an enemy and he's real and he's dark and he hates you and he hated Christ and he is going to come against you. So jumping back into the passage, Ephesians 6.10. So he started with finally, and this, and this is what he says afterwards. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So in the same way that Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead, we were dead in our trespasses. And it says, but God made us alive and he raised us up. Likewise, when it comes to fighting the enemy, we're dead in our tracks. We're hopeless. And we're helpless. We don't have the ability to fight the enemy. So once again, we find ourselves in a really good place where we are completely dependent upon the Lord. Only Jesus can be the hero. It can never be us. It is a good thing when we say, I have nothing, Lord, without you, I am lost in this situation. And that's what Paul is saying in this last part. So he begins this section by setting the stage of everything that he's going to share throughout the rest of the chapter by saying our strength is indeed, you see it, in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And if we miss that one point, then nothing else that we say over the next month is going to make any sense. We'll, we'll remain hamstrung. We will remain um, dead in our tracks and incapable of fighting. And that takes us to, and if you've got your worship guide and you want to fill in blanks, this is your truth number one. So truth number one is, in the same way that we were incapable of saving ourselves apart from Christ, likewise, we are incapable, do you hear that? My voice went up. Incapable of fighting the enemy apart from Christ. Incapable of fighting the enemy. And as I said, it's always good when we recognize our limitations, how weak and incapable that we truly are. You think of Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 12. He's pleading with the Lord, just take this thorn from me. And the Lord's like, I don't think I'm going to, for my power is perfected in your weaknesses. And there's just something magical and hard about that. I love that and hate that at the same time. 
you know, because I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. I don't like struggle. But at the same time, when I look back on my life, I see that when there was struggle, when there was pain, when I had nothing to offer, oftentimes that's where the Lord probably used me the most. And I'm sure you guys could say the same thing. So as we walk through verse number 11, I'm going to look at uh, four of the red sections here. So let's look at this passage. Put on, we're going to look at put on. The whole, we're going to look at whole, armor of God that you may be able to stand. We're going to look at stand against the schemes of the devil. So put on the whole armor of God so, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the first thing he's saying is put on. So the first thing that we see is that we have a part to play in putting on the armor. It could have said, just be still and God will put the armor on you. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, put on the armor. So it won't automatically happen to us. This put on, and another word that you're going to see a little bit later, this take up is a theme that runs throughout this entire Ephesians 6 passage. So we need to take a moment to think about and talk about what that might be, what that might mean, this putting on part. And I don't want to go too deep here because if you go too deep here, then you start getting into the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And I want each of those to have their own space on a Sunday morning. But there are th three things that I see that are implied, these implications, things that are implied when Paul says, put on the armor of God. Okay. Uh, these also are in your worship God, if you want to take notes. So implication number one, this is put on implication number one, is this, we must go back to the truths afforded to us through the gospel before we can even understand what to put on. You know, everything in chapter four through six goes back to chapters one through three as their foundation. What have we learned about Christ? What has he done for us? What are some of the incredible facets of the gospel that I need to remind my heart of or remind my spouse of or my children of? We need to ask those questions. And as we are reminded of what Jesus has done, past tense, we then take those truths and we put those on. So that's part of what that putting on is going to look like. So that's the first implication. And it's one of the reasons that we meet like we're meeting right now on Sunday mornings. This is not just a time for us to come together because, oh, and Jesus expects us to come worship on Sundays and sing a little bit and listen to the word of God. No, we need this. We need to be under the teaching of the word of God to see what it says, because when we walk out of here, we're going to face battles and we need to know how to face those battles. And um, Hebrews, we read it this week. If you're going through the community Bible reading with us, it says that we need to remind ourselves in each other of these truths every single day, as long as it's called today. I need these reminders and you need these reminders. And that's part of what putting on is. Implication number two, we must be in the word regularly to discover these truths that we are supposed to put on. We have to be in the word. There's no way people hear me on this. I've got real passion and convictions here. There's no way that you can live the Christian life and that you can defeat the enemy if you don't know the word of God. Why is it that you think that you, you struggle so much with getting in the word of God? You can go read the news. You can go look at Wayfair. You can go to ESPN or whatever. You can do those things so easily. It just comes so naturally. But why is it that getting into the word of God is so doggone hard sometimes? 
Why can I do anything? I can go to the gym. I can go hang out with friends. I can do anything. But getting into the word of God, but praying, there's just a struggle there. The fact that you recognize a struggle should tell you something and it should tell me something. It's spiritual. This is where our power is. You have to fight through that and you need to force yourself to get into the word of God for that is where life is and that is where hope is. And we're going to speak more of that when we get into uh, the belt of truth in a few weeks. But if you want to take a look, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's one of my favorite passages. And he's telling, he's telling the church you know, that his divine power, that God's divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything. And then he says, but these things that he's given us, they come from these promises, these great and precious promises that he's given to us. And he says, if you'll understand these great and precious promises, and I know you've heard this from me before, church, but it goes on to say that you can participate in the divine nature. That's there. I'm not making that up. Second Peter 1, go look at it. Great and precious promises that God has given to us. And if we understand these promises, we can take part in a divine living, which means Jesus can live through you supernaturally and can live through me supernaturally. And if I don't go to the word of God, I'll not know what those promises are. So that is implication number two. We must be in the word regularly to discover these truths that we are to put on. Okay, and then truth number three, or implication number three, I should say, is we must develop the habit of not only reading, but memorizing and internalizing the word of God. And as we're going to see, this is the most critical offensive tool that we have, that and prayer. Uh, so we will jump into that. Mike Tierney is going to walk us through in a couple of weeks. He's going to walk us through the belt of truth. And if I jump into that today, he will be the formidable foe that I have to fight against because he will be upset with me. So I'm going to let him have his day walking us through uh, the belt of truth. But it's the word of God. That's where the power is. Go back to our passage. Ephesians 6.11, he says, second red word, put on the whole armor of God the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Whole, not part, but the whole armor of God. And this is why we're going to take three or four weeks to walk through each piece of this whole armor, because you do not want to leave any part of your body exposed. If you do, you will regret that. We need the belt, the breastplate, um, our feet fitted properly with the right shoes. We need our shield. We need our helmet. We need the sword and we need prayers and just this constant alertness that we are in a spiritual battle. We must be prepared. We must be equipped. And going back to my story from Seabrook Island that I shared a little bit earlier, some of my takeaways from that experience were this. Number one, there really is an enemy. And I told you that. And you already know that. Number two, he hates me. He hates me and he hates Jesus followers. Number three, we are at war against him and his legion of demons. I don't understand these things. What I'm saying to you is way above my pay grade. I cannot answer questions that you have about spiritual warfare other than what I can pull from the word of God itself. Number four, I recognize that I myself am completely, am completely incapable of fighting him. And then this was the greatest of my takeaways. Jesus is stronger, number five. Jesus is stronger. His armor works. 
the enemy will retreat if we continue to utilize the armor of God. And if we do, at the end, we will remain standing. We will stand, which is our next red word that I said that we would look at. So look at this passage. I won't read the whole thing, but he says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you will be able to stand. And then you skip down to verse number 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. And then he says, stand therefore. Standing is a real theme that's running throughout this passage. I said at sermon prep when we were talking about this, it makes me think of a couple of images. You know, one is just, I don't know, I just see this guy in my head and he's fighting through a blizzard and it's just, just the snow and he's moving forward and he's doing everything he can just to, just to stay alive and to not fall over and die in the snow. And then the snow ends and he's still standing. Or I think about these crazy guys and girls that are on the weather channel that are like, where's the hurricane? I'm going to go right there and I'm going to go to the beach and it's going to be like 120 miles an hour. And I'm going to have a microphone and a camera and I'm going to try to show people what's happening. And it's crazy. I'm like, what are you doing? Go get another job for one thing. But you see them and they're just like doing everything they can to keep from just flying away. Right. And then they're remaining standing. Or, of course, I think about Rocky Balboa, you know, against some of his um, some of his formidable foes, whoever you might want to insert into that. And they give him everything that they've got. And then at the end of it, he is remaining standing and God wants us to stand. He promised that in this world that we will have trouble. That's a guarantee. Jesus says in this world, you're going to have trouble. Some of that's because of your own flesh and some of that's because there's an enemy that hates you and spiritual warfare is a part of that. But he's giving us these tools and he's given us this arsenal that we will be able to fight. So that takes us to truth number two. And I said that there were three today. So truth number two, God doesn't promise that we won't face spiritual battles. This is in your worship guide. But he does promise that if we use all of his armor, that in the end, we will remain, and there's that word again, standing. Because you see, his armor is tied to our heavenly standing. You see what I did there? We remain standing because of our standing in Christ. I did like a double standing there. It was, it was good. It was creative. So don't know if you saw that or not. So that takes us, you know, back to truth number one. And it takes us back to chapters one through three. The reason that we're able to stand is because of the things that he told us. You just forget chapter two for a second. Just go look at chapter one. It's amazing. You know, we said at the beginning, he gives us heaven, this heavenly peripheral vision of everything that took place when Jesus died. And when we believed in him, I mean, we're reconciled, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. You know, we are, we are adopted as his children. He was victorious and therefore we are victorious. If you go into chapter two, you see we were dead, but God raised us to life. And it's these truths of where our standing is and the truths that we have to remind ourselves of that enable us to be able to stand. You know, when I'm fighting the enemy, part of that is going back and remembering what Jesus did. I remind my heart of these things and then I remind the enemy of these things. And I quote scripture in doing so. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. Let's continue with the passage. 
Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the next word, the schemes of the devil, the schemes. I went and looked this one up, see what it means in the Greek. And it says this, craftiness, wiles, cunning deceit, and tricks. How many of y'all remember Wiley Coyote? Wiley Coyote. Some of you didn't raise your hands, and that makes me sad. Everybody, everybody should have a season of watching nothing except for um, the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. Whoever, you know, created that cartoon was brilliant because it was so simple. There's a Roadrunner, and he's fast. He's got an enemy, and he's doing everything he can to scheme. Wily, that's what it means to scheme, to be a schemer and to try to trap the roadrunner. And then every, you know, episode was something different. Acme something. You've got Acme Dynamite, Acme, you know, whatever. And it was great. So how many of you all have ever had anybody craft a, a, a clever plan against you? Or how many of you all have ever been deceived by someone? How many of you had have have had someone play a trick on you, or maybe you were the butt of the joke. We've all had those things happen to us. And sometimes that's funny, and then sometimes it costs us a job, or it costs us thousands of dollars, or maybe a relationship with a friend. There's scheming that's fun, and then there's scheming that's not. And the purpose of the scheming is to inflict pain upon you. Someone needs this, but for them to get there, it is at your expense. Or someone's really struggling with their own identity, so the way that they're going to handle that is a scheme to knock you down a few notches. And we've all experienced that, and it hurts. And that's what this scheming looks like. Scheming, and by the way, if, if you get a phone call, there's a really nice gentleman that continues to call my phone and he's, he's so nice. And he's given me one more chance to get that extended warranty on my car, right? And he's just going out of his way to make sure that I don't miss this opportunity. And if he calls you, right, don't, don't do it. Don't, just don't give him your credit card and don't get that extended warranty. And I say that laughingly. We've all experienced those calls. You know, on my phone, it actually shows up now as scam likely. And I'm like, oh, scam's trying to call me again. Um, but I know a couple of individuals who got sucked into that and other similar schemes, and it cost them tens of thousands of dollars, right? So there's a scheming that takes place there in this world, and it's very similar to the scheming that takes place with the enemy. The enemy is clever, and he is a schemer. And we see ways that he does it in Scripture, and I'll just mention a couple of them. And you all have experienced these as well. He's, he brings doubt and confusion by twisting the scriptures. Going back to Genesis, did God really say? He just asked that question. And to Jesus, he's quoting scripture to Jesus. You know, he's like, well, the word of God says, but then he twists the scripture and the interpretation and the application for his own benefit. So he knows the word of God as well. I had a, I, this isn't in my notes and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I had an encounter uh, with um, a lady in Elizabeth and over the past couple of years, I'm pretty sure she was demon possessed. And um, I remember, I, you know, as soon as it was over with, I remember calling Sam and I'm like, you're not going to believe this encounter I just had. It was crazy. 
and this person, you know, talked to me initially like they had a, I don't know, an eighth grade education, you know, just struggling with the, their words and vernacular and their grammar. And then all of a sudden something changed. All of a sudden in the conversation, she began to quote scripture from Leviticus of all places and Deuteronomy and began to talk about how Jesus is the, isn't the only way of salvation and how the devil also provides salvation for us. And it turned into this interesting encounter. And I remember sitting there saying, oh no, this lady's gonna beat me up, right? And it was, it, was a, it was a real moment for me to go back and say, what is the truth? What does the word of God say? And I listened and then I gave scripture. And she actually misquoted scripture multiple times. And I only knew that because I knew scripture. And I'm like, that's not what that's, I didn't tell her that. I'm like, that's not what that says. And, but I would give her another scripture and I would give her another scripture. And eventually she just shut down and she wouldn't talk about it anymore. You know, and it was that kind of an encounter where the enemy was twisting scriptures, you know, and saying, did God really say, I know he says that he's the only way of salvation, but really is he? There are other ways as well. And you'll get sucked into those conversations with people. They may not be demon possessed, but just with people that the enemy uses to bring doubt to you. And to make you wonder, gosh, he's a college professor. He knows a lot more than I do. And he's saying that God isn't the only God. You know, he's given all kinds of evidences, you know, for that. It's like saying, did God really say? The third way he does that, he schemes by sending people to bring division and strife. More on that later. And then there are other ways, you know, as well. Um, can you think of any other off the top of your head that you want to throw out? You can do so. This is Redstone Elizabeth, and we're allowed to do that. Any other ways that... The enemy schemes. Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know people online aren't going to be able to hear that. You know, but we, we, we have situations that are presented to us that the fundamental question that we really struggle with is, is God good? And if God is good, why would he allow this? And people will use that against us. There really is suffering in this world. Children, children get cancer. People that we love have car accidents. You know, there are things like this that happen to us and people that are unbelievers or sometimes even schemers would be, oh, and this is the God that you serve. And you think he's good. Well, why in the world, if he's so powerful, does he allow these things? You know, we need to know the word of God and we need to rest in the fact that God truly is good. Let's continue in the passage. We could spend a lot of time on this topic. Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Um, Drew Gray. Where's Drew? Drew's here. So Drew, I hate to do this, man. Drew, raise your hand. Just get it up in the air. Okay, this is Drew. Drew and Macy, they showed back up today with their little baby. So congratulations. But Drew, he usually attends sermon prep, but because of maternity leave, he's not been able to do so. This, this topic of spiritual warfare, there's some people that get it and see it and have studied it at a different level, you know, than I have. And Drew's one of these guys. So he sent me an email the other day because I just asked him, I was like, hey, give me your thoughts on the spiritual warfare. And he walked me through Genesis, the Psalms, Daniel, and other books and passages in the Bible to show that there are indeed jurisdictions within the heavenlies. And God has angels over specific territories as well. It really was fascinating. 
It's way beyond the scope of an introductory message, you know, on spiritual warfare. But if you're like, I want to know more on this, I just encourage you, go have coffee with Drew and, um, and jump in. Look at these scriptures because he showed me things that I had not seen uh, before. You'll be glad that you did. It truly was compelling. Okay. I will say this today, though. When you hear heavenly places, sometimes that causes confusion, you know, because heaven, heaven's supposed to be a good place, right? There's no tears. There's no heartache. There's nothing. So how can there be this warfare in this, in the heavenly places? So there's a couple of things I would share, and I don't know that this is necessarily perfectly right. So I'm going to say that up front, but I think that the logic of the implications are if I'm not right, then I'm close. So bear with me. Second Corinthians 12, I referred to it earlier when Paul was saying, please take this thorn away. He was saying that he had this experience where he was carried into, and it says the third heaven. Okay. And when we think about the third heaven, when commentators talk about the third heaven, most people say, yes, this is the place where God dwells. It's a good place. It is a holy place. It is set apart from everything else. You know, then we look at um, Psalm 19, which says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his faithfulness. Day after day, they pour forth speech and night after night, they display knowledge. This is like the sunrise on Thursday morning or the rainbow yesterday right? Our eyes can see these things. And that probably continues into the heavens of seeing the stars and the moon and the sun as well. So most people would look at that and say, well, that's the first heaven. That's the area that we can see. So there's a third heaven, which is a place where God dwells. And there's a first heaven where our eyes can even see, and we can go into space and see these things. But somewhere between those two, and it doesn't talk about this, but there's a second heaven. That's the implication. That's the logic. If there's a first and there's a third, there probably is a second. So commentators think that's what it's referring to when it says spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Does that make sense? So that's probably worth a little bit more investigation, but that's where I landed uh, coming into today. So I want you to notice in this passage, though, who the battle is not against. We know who the battle is against. We see that in the passage. But who is the battle not against? Look at it again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's a small thing. I'm pausing. I want you to see that. Yes, spiritual authorities and cosmic powers and things that are just that's hard to understand. But it's not against people. Not with flesh and blood. When it says flesh and blood, that means people. That means the person that you might be bitter toward or the person where there's unforgiveness in your heart or the person that schemed against you or the hard neighbor or whatever. That's not our struggle. We should not be struggling against people. We've got a real enemy. And if we're going to fight and if we're going to expend energies fighting, it ought to be the real opponent and the real enemy not these make-believe enemies. And this is critical, church. It's critical. There are true battles. But hear me on this. The battle is not with your boss. It's not with your neighbor. And it's not with your brother-in-law. In those areas, we have to learn to bear with one another in love. We have to understand um, that it's to your glory to overlook an offense. Or we have to go to someone, Matthew 18, and share our struggle with them. And at the end of the day, no matter what they have done, Jesus' follower, 
we have to forgive in the same manner that we've been forgiven. It's where the rubber meets the road. The enemy wants you to think that that's where the battle is. You know, go use all of your energy fighting with a family member for the rest of your life and you won't do anything good for the kingdom of God because you've wasted your energy being angry or being bitter at someone else. Don't fight them. Don't fight them. Fight the real enemy and pray against the real enemy. Okay, I promise that today would only be an, inter, uh, an overview and it wouldn't be too long. So I am going to close uh, shortly. But before I do so, I promised you three truths. And I've got one more that's important. So I want you to see this one and then we're going to close. Truth number three is this. If you aren't busy following Jesus and doing kingdom work, you probably won't face many spiritual battles. He'll leave you alone. Okay, but if you are intent on pouring out your life for the kingdom's sake, then you better suit up for the assaults will indeed come. So if you're sitting here saying, I've been a Christian for 10 years, I've never had a spiritual battle. That's actually not a good thing. That's not a good sign. Scripture says anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And if we're living our lives and our heart's intent is to never put ourselves in a situation where someone would dislike us or where persecution might come, then we, we're missing it. We're missing our calling. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and I didn't throw this one onto the screen, but it's a good one to memorize. By the way, Russ, you led us earlier. When we talk about memorizing and internalizing the Word of God, uh, Russ does that as well as anybody in this, um, in this church. And that's not to, like, pat you on the back, Russ. And, you know, but it's just the fact that you get that, and you've seen that. And Jesus has formed himself in you through his Word, and it just flows out of you naturally in conversations. So thanks for, for doing that and being an example to all of us. But 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 58, 15, 58 says this. It says, be steadfast, immovable. You know, remain standing immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And if we're obeying that commandment, if we're giving our lives for the Lord, if we're dying to ourselves and our own agenda, then attacks will come. And if we're not, then we may not be true Jesus followers. Or maybe we're just resting on our thumbs for some reason and it just doesn't make sense. But the enemy will leave you alone. It's, a not, it's not a coincidence when you get really serious about following Jesus and you're in his word, you know, and you're praying and you're trying to put yourself in these uncomfortable situations and you're trying to um, speak the truth or share the gospel with someone that you love and it's hard and I don't know what to say to them and you find yourself praying for them and you're stepping into a work environment and everybody else is doing the wrong thing and you're going to try to do the right thing. And you know that they're not going to like that because it's going to make them look bad. All of those situations are going to come to us. They should come to us. And if they don't come to us, then we're not being light in this world. And we're not being salt. And at the end of the day, I mean, if you want to simplify it, we're not obeying Jesus. He looks us in the eyes and he says, come follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take up your agenda and come follow me. Sometimes redstone on Sunday mornings can be heavy. This is heavy. I can't water that down and make that fun. And, you know, I can't. There's nothing light about that. 
You, know, you follow Jesus, you lay down your life for him. And when you're doing that, don't be surprised if it's in those seasons that all of a sudden you find out that you're, spirit, you're facing spiritual warfare. It's going to happen. It should happen. We can't run from it, but we need to know how to be equipped and to know how to handle it. And that's what these sermons are going to hopefully walk us through. As I'm closing, I, I give you, you this challenge and I give me this challenge. We're going to walk through Ephesians 6. We're going to walk through each one of the pieces of the armor of God. And as we learn what the significance of each piece is, okay, my challenge is, and you can go ahead and start doing this. Um, I've done it this week and it was, it was, it was beautiful and it was good. I encourage us, let's put on the armor of God every morning when we get up. I remember a time in my life and just, you know, facing struggle. And I won't give you a long story, but I was hurting and there was pain and I just, I didn't know what to do. And I remember every morning before I would even get out of bed, I would lay there and I would go through each piece of the armor of God. And I would be reminded the helmet of salvation to protect my head to adorn me, to show the world that I'm a Jesus follower and to protect my mind, that mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. And I would just begin to quote these scriptures and I would say, oh God, I put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. You know, what is that? What is the belt of truth? And I would just go and I would think and I would be reminded of what Jesus had done. And I would quote these scriptures. When I got finished, I had on the, the word of God and his, and his armor on me. And then I would get out of bed and I would live my day. That's the, what I encourage us to do that we don't just walk through um, the series or you know, the, these sermons and say, oh, well, that made sense. That was good. That was helpful to me. That's not the purpose. This is all about application, not just internalization of truths, but how do I take these things and how do I apply them in my life? Be strong in, in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He is the hero He's the one that's mighty to save. He is the Lord Almighty, the God of heaven and earth. And he longs to fight for us. And he longs to fight through us. Not with an armor made, I think I said this is sermon prep. It's not made in the USA. It's not made in China. And it's not made by Stark Enterprises, right? This is armor that is formed by God. And that, that gets his power when Jesus, the, the once dead Jesus in the grave, when he raises himself from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, he conquered the enemy once for all and he conquered the last enemy. You know what it says? The last enemy is, you know the passage, it's death. Death has been defeated. Our strength is in the Lord. And verse 13, which Mike, you'll be happy. I'm not going to get to verse 13, because you're going to be preaching on this one. It says, take up the whole armor of God that you will be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. In time, we'll discuss what this evil day is and what it might look for each of us that's spoken of here in verse number 13. We have the word of God at our disposal. And one of the tools that I mentioned earlier and Russ mentioned it earlier as well, that is underutilized is prayer. As we go through the arsenal, you're going to see a lot of defensive pieces of the arsenal and you're going to see a couple that are offensive. One is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's a sword. 
It's a sword. It's offensive. And then the other one right after that is prayer itself. There is power in prayer beyond our understanding. I said earlier, that's why we struggle with it so much. So I do want to end our time today, but just by going to the Lord. Confessing maybe where I've been fighting the wrong enemy and you've been fighting the wrong enemy. If there's bitterness in my heart and forgiveness in my heart towards someone, just take that to the Lord. Apply the gospel. Forgive as you've been forgiven and move on. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be you know, proved right. Others don't have to see you and say, yeah, he was right all along. You don't need that. Lay down your life for the kingdom's sake, you know, for Jesus, and just forgive them. Forgive them wholly in the same manner that you've been forgiven. So some of us in our hearts, we just need to do that. We need to recognize who the real enemy is and get rid of this, this bunk, this stuff that's dragging us down because we've been fighting the wrong enemy. And others of us just need to um, recognize, gosh, I haven't faced persecution in a decade. Jesus, I'm sorry. I need to really be serious about following you. And not everybody's in that place. There are some of you that just needed to be reminded. This is war. Jesus is stronger. Jesus, be stronger in my life. I worship you and I praise you. You can do whatever you want to, but pray. So let's spend a few minutes in prayer. Let me look at my clock, my little watch here. And um, I think we'll open it up this morning. So we'll, we'll see if you guys have any responses. But first off, let's just spend some time in prayer.